Welcome to Positivity Strategist, a podcast that injects a good deal of optimism and possibility into your life at home and at work. Conversations with thought leaders and everyday people shine the light on what works and amplifies those everyday micro moments of positivity, irrespective of what else is going on. You'll be energized by lots of practical tips, inspiring you to live a truly satisfying and meaningful life. My wonderful guest today is Natalie Schell. Natalie is a writer of chick-lit humorist essays. She's excited as her first book, The Wedding Virus and Other Snippets, has just been published. We talk about that, the power of story and the power of release. Listen in to Natalie for a sneak preview. You know, starting is really important. I often tell people about starting and I speak a lot about starting. But finishing is like or finishing a cycle and letting something go and letting it become what it needs to become is a really important part of the process. And I'm really proud that I did that. More from Natalie in a few. First, we have our Positivity Lens Reframe segment. Each episode, I invite you to strengthen your positivity muscle by trying out some of the strategies my guests offer. Remember, positivity is a practice, and the more that you do it, the better you'll get. Now, last time, Taffy Williams, author of Think Agile, offered us three great big strategies. First one was, believe you can do anything and put your effort into how to do it. You can overcome hurdles, believe it first, and then find a way. Number two, reframe failure. Don't be afraid afraid to fail. Jump back in with a fresh game plan based on your learnings and insights. And number three, there's more than one way to do things. Keeping open to other ways as well and your own preparation is key. I'm very happy to have as my guest today a gorgeous person whom I met around 10 years ago. Her name is Natalie Shell, and she's made lots of contributions to the world with an overarching title of storyteller, and we'll dive into that during our conversation. Natalie is also Australian, and we're both originally from Sydney, and she currently lives in Tel Aviv in Israel. Natalie, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much, Robin, for having me here. You're welcome. Oh, fun. <laughs> Natalie, I want you to say your name for me. Natalie Shell. Natalie, okay. So when I said that to myself this morning, I thought I sounded very American because I wasn't <laughs> pronouncing the T, but it sounds like that was okay. And I thought maybe I should be saying Natalie. And I... Th- <laughs> I love no, I love that. Don't don't be confused. My name is allowed to be said however people need in order to connect with me. I know. Super happy with that. <laughs> okay, and if it were European, it'd be Natalie, right? Natalie. Yeah. My mum and my husband both uh, both do that. So um, I've grown up hearing it different ways. Yeah. Do you get called Nat? I get called Nat by a lot of Australians. Yeah, I like calling <laughs> you Nat. <laughs> It's Just, an Australian thing. Take, call me whatever you like. Robert. Okay, all right. Well, I get called Rob too. I was about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> My dad always called me Rob. Oh. Yay. Yeah. Now, Natalie, Nat, do you remember how we met? Well, I have a few memories of how we met, but um, I guess my initial one in my head is Edge of Emergence, but I think there is another one. 
Yeah, Edge of Emergence, which was the um, summit at Peace Village in Tannersville in upstate New York, right? But we yeah. met earlier than that. We met in Maryland at an Appreciative Inquiry Colloquium. Both were really cool events um, all about how we can create better futures. And how we stand on the edge of the next one. That's right. <laughs> and, of course, it's that power of storytelling and the appreciative interviews that bring such vitality and deep conversation and those kinds of events. So then you went off to other places and you ended up in Israel. I did. How long ago I was did. that? That is coming up to seven and a half years wow. and I still can't believe that this is where I ended up because it was not on the list. Although I do always say to people, I ended up in Tel Aviv. I understand that it is in Israel, but Tel Aviv is just like, you know, like New York is in America. Yes. It's its own thing. It's yeah. its own thing. Um, yeah, I've been here for seven and a half years and it's um, it's been a ride. But New York, Sydney, New York, Amsterdam, a little bit of English countryside for some more storytelling, in-depth storytelling uh, learning, mm -hmm. uh, and then Tel Aviv where I came as a holiday and stayed. Whoa, it happens. Whoa, it happens. And, and had, then love happens. And then love happened when you were there too. Okay, we'll get to love in a minute. So I know that you've done lots of fun things and entrepreneurial things too, and you describe yourself as a thinker, storyteller and coach. And you're half owner of a business called apartmentdiet.com. A couple of years ago, you left Wix.com where you were the brand and product manager, and you did some user experience stuff there too, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had. I, I was one of quite a few product managers, and and, mm -hmm. and did some did a lot of branding with them, uh, mm -hmm. and 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 communications at the beginning. And I was really lucky. I was there um, for quite a while, and I fell into startup land, which is a really rich rich area um, in Israel, in Tel Aviv, uh, and a really really dynamic space. We're all moving online and it was really amazing to be part of seeing something small grow to something which is now a 1,000 people and an IPO-listed company. Wow, that's so, awesome. Yeah, 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 super cool to see that type of not just growth but like they're a good company to have like really good uh, culture. Yeah, so, well. Nice to be part of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure that was a great experience. And you're still connected with people there? I'm still connected with them mm -hmm. and I still occasionally do some work with them. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel super lucky for having fallen into that. Not, you know, it was a total, uh, on one hand, a total change from the change work that I, that I did in America mm -hmm. and, and the change in not-for-profit work that I'd done as a consultant in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, but on the other hand, it's always the same themes. It's communication mm -hmm. <laughs> space, although in this case, this space was on the online space. Um, what is that? User experiences, I think, space online, if mm -hmm. you like physical space online. Um, and, yeah, I'm always behind the scenes or in front of the scenes as doing some type of form of storytelling, I think. Yeah, that's so interesting when you talk about um, space. So it's all about just similar things but different contexts. I think that's a very accurate mm. and I should get you to write my bio for me. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of those people who finds it hard to give myself an elevator speech because <laughs> probably like some people out there who are listening, I am more than one thing. That is my thing. Yes, Wonderful. Yes. Fancy being many, many things and showing and having lots of talents, right? And drum roll, you've just published your first book. I have published my first book. Thank you, Robin, for mentioning my book. That is the sweetest thing ever. Yes, people, you can go online and download or buy your paperback. There's my little advertisement. The and Wedding Virus and Other Snippets by Natalie Schell on Amazon and in bookstores now. <laughs> and it's just delicious. 
just delicious. Oh. So, um, yes, I naturally have read it and I've laughed my way through it and it was so entertaining. And I'll come back to that in a sec. But I'm curious to know what's exciting you in your life right now? Well, I think like my initial response to this type of question is just to giggle and laugh. So I guess like just being happy and laughing about things and not taking anything too seriously um, was a big switch for me. I have uh, every year I come up with a few words and uh, or one word. This year it was three words and they were fun, (laughs) nourish and no, usually they are one word, fun, nourish and release. And every time I put myself back into having fun with it, it just makes everything better. Like there, why does everything have to be heavy and serious even when it is heavy and serious? So I think that's exciting me. I have a son that mostly excites me. Um, <laughs> he mostly excites me. And yeah, How old is he? He's one and a half or just over one and a half. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't know if motherhood exactly excites me. That is a very interesting <laughs> title. He definitely is, 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 mostly, is mostly fun. That doesn't sound very exciting, does it? No, he is fun. (laughs) I think I'm resenting the change that, you know, life happens. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I love the change that has happened with that and then other times I crave, which I think most parents would would potentially say that, Mm. that, you know, the the differences between before and, and after. And then how that how that works in terms of work and work life balance, which is probably a bit of BS, whether you're a parent or not. Yeah. So finding new balances, and I'm also super excited in I think moving to my next iteration, which is from I guess something happened in December where all the things I used to do in New York and in Australia with big change processes, appreciative inquiry, and workshops, and storytelling like live speaking and storytelling is coming back, but with the benefit of all the work that I did in startups and did at Wix.com and what I learned, I guess, to improve my visual eye, like visuals. I think that sort of not just audio and not just workshops in physical space, but sort of this sort of interrelationship between our in, in online world and our real world and it's also our real world. So that I guess that's what excites me. Um, and then trying to take all the knowledge that I've learned from apartmentdiet.com and share that in like an effective way with uh, Tip Atkins who I've been working with for the last five years as a side project and now is one of my main projects. Well, that's a lot going on. That's very exciting. <laughs> How? Uh, yeah. And, and the way that I can do that is by having quit my day job. I do not make any lies about that. Mm. It is very hard to do that from with, within a, the, the regular confines of a, of a nine to five or nine to eight job. Yeah. Although so interesting, I find and I hear another other people say it too, that when you have those constraints of a nine to five job, and, and I think in the industry that you're working in, it probably wasn't nine to five. It probably <laughs> no. went long, 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 like you're 24-7, right? But having that structure then, you know, you kind of go out and you do other things. Like when you're working for yourself and working from home, things just get blended together and making a separation between the work and the other, you know, personal family kind of responsibilities, I think is tougher. Well, as uh, both you've touched on two things that happen, and that's also what I say. My book I wrote, I started writing while working. I was sending it as emails. In fact, I wrote the majority of the writing while working. And Apartment Diet also grew as a side project while I was working right. as a blog. Um, and I agree that stru- it's this sort of tension between structure and flexibility. Mm-hmm. And exactly because of that, I've actually the last uh, 
four months taken uh, a space in an open space in a co-work space, like a seat in a co-work space, Mm. exactly to separate. Mm. Because otherwise, yes, you do. And the lines are blurry. And personally, I don't find it enough structure. But it also personally, as a personality, it doesn't give me enough of the human people connection. I actually get a lot, um, I guess um, if you want to label it an extrovert, I get energized by other people. So mm-hmm. being in those type of physical places mm-hmm. where lots of people are working, creating things is, and, and, you know, that I have that break with them is really healthy. Yeah. And so let's come back now to the book that's just been published, mm. The Wedding Virus and Other Snippets. How did that come about? Well, the true story is more than seven years ago, I think it's maybe even eight years ago, I was in Heathrow with a seven-hour layover and I realized I had read all the books in the airport like bookstore that I really wanted to read. Um, and I sort of was like had this little voice almost popped in my head, which was kind of like, why don't you write your own? Um So that voice kind of stayed in my head and I guess some of it is a part of me amplified, but it was mostly just a voice to sort of have fun and try and describe the things that were actually happening to my friends who live all around the world rather than that, I guess, rather than the stories we were being fed. And I used to always call, like the wedding virus was just a joke that I sort of had, you know, that weddings and and babies kind of spread like (laughs) like a virus between <laughs> between uh, people, yes. It turns into, well, guess what, loosely, it's humour essays and snippets are just, maybe I'm not, maybe it's because I can't write a novel really. Maybe it was just my way of like taking together, you know, a collection of stories and I've always seen myself a bit as also a story collector mm-hmm. and somehow putting that collection together, uh, which I could not have done without help. <laughs> I, that, 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 that was a big lesson there, that, yes, you can get to a point, but, yes, there are lots of other people involved in getting a book out um, and we're still working on it. But, yeah, I hope that everyone gets a laugh mm. out of it and not, yeah, to take these moments yeah, about well, women I- and love and not so seriously. <laughs> I know. Well, I had a few laughs and I have to say I'm very proud that I actually am immune to the virus because you're, yeah, you should be proud. Jürgen and I eloped. Well done. So, no, no, I've escaped all weddings. And, you know, there's a big difference between wedding. I mean, I was, again, since I read your book and I'm, you know, getting excited about our conversation, I've been mulling over weddings and marriage. And they're, yeah, not, they're, they're two totally very different, different things. <laughs> and you'll notice that my book very carefully stops at <laughs> just after the wedding. Very on purpose. Um, they are very different things. Yes. And, and I think some of us actually just want the wedding and the marriage is maybe interesting but maybe better words are partnership and I very rarely talk about Noam as my husband people don't know him in this context mm-hmm. maybe but you know he's my mister or my partner mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. And 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 that really is how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I maybe what I caught, you know, wasn't exactly um, what other people uh, what other people caught. But I I, th- I really see these things happening, and and it's really interesting how you even for myself when I had been joking about it and then realized I was interested in this and sort of had to understand why using some of those feelings and some of those questions. You know, I think I'm maybe I'm just a very curious person. I want to know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish I could write from the male perspective as well and <laughs> be equally effective to have the other side. But as it happens, the voice in my head is currently female voices. So, <laughs> yeah. But, but men are reading it. I keep being told by some of the boyfriends <laughs> of, of friends that they've picked it up or, or partners of friends. Has so. there been a 
reality show yet? On <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming soon to a TV near you. Oh, gosh. Someone yeah. may buy the rights. If someone wants to out there, you think this sounds like an awesome book. I will say, Robin, I have to say book book writing and book, book selling are two very different things. And as a caution to anyone who's going into writing, I can now make the beginnings of a very successful um, TED Talk on how not to successfully publish your book, starting with... If you are going to come up with a cool title like virus, it's probably not a good idea if your main mode of communicating with journalists is email because it doesn't get there. It goes into the spam filter. (laughs) So try not to be too clever. Oh, dear. (laughs) It hadn't occurred to me. Well, no, but after quite a few emails it occurred to me, but no, it did not occur to me either. I thought I was fabulous, but... (laughs) (laughs) As it turns out, it's fabulous, but not for email. That's so fascinating. Yeah, Um, it reminds me. Well, I was negotiating with um, with the UNDP, you know, United Nations Development Program, Mm -hmm. for a possible job in Pakistan, and it was just after some major event that happened, you know, that was unfortunate, and my emails from Pakistan disappeared. Oh, totally disappeared. And so I had to go to my email provider. I'm going right off topic here, but it's to do with, you know, the word virus and and Mm -hmm. who's reading your emails and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was just so interesting that, you know, what shows up on the subject line sends alarm signals to... Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And you think, well, you know, why are people interested in this? But... So that's just fascinating. So, yes, subject lines and words are very important. Oh, I've been, I've been renaming my subject lines. I've resaved all the documents. But at the end of the day, you know, I am trying to promote my book. So you, I have to write the wedding virus mm. somewhere. You know, but, but it's okay. I mean, I, I, I accept that. I, I wouldn't change the title. It, it, it certainly drove the thinking and the next one is the baby epidemic. And there is a few other <laughs> nonfiction books that are – sorry, fiction um, books that mm-hmm. are uh, that are coming coming next. Yeah. So tell me, um, you said that it's not just about writing the book, but then it's about publishing the book and the promotion. Yeah. And everything. So what kind of supports have you had? Tell tell us about the good things that happened. Well, the good things that happened was I took my own advice that I give clients as a coach, and that Tip and I often talk about on Apartment Diet and in our courses. And that is, I asked for help when I realised that it was stuck and I had been sitting on this book in a folder and I called a friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine actually called Karen who had loved the emails. She'd read parts of the book and I asked for help and she came over and she helped me put it together. Like she really like helped me as an editor. And I think that's also really important to know that these things don't, like you look at someone, but there's all these people behind, I mean, they always say that there's people behind, Mm -hmm. but there really is a lot of people behind Mm -hmm. making something happen. Even if you are doing it in inverted commas all on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just been like a lot of lessons. And when I sit in the space of like the lessons that I've learned, instead of getting into the, this must be an Amazon bestseller for the rest of my life space, it's really amazing how many people come together to like support your success. You know, I put out, you know, a message on Facebook when it was released and so many people re, you know, shared it, like, you know, help my friend, you know, go download her book, go read her book. And that sort of outpouring that comes with that is so is so special 
But I think I have a long ways to go in understanding the long-term promotion of, of, of these books. And because it hadn't been my main, you know, my main career move, I think, you know, that, that now if I would look at it, I would say to people, you know, there's probably a lot of, there's probably a lot of worth if you can spending time even before you release a book to create a really strong launch plan and marketing mm. plan. Yeah. And what about, um, yeah? Yeah. No, no, yeah. Well, I was going to say, what about you? You know, so what do you value about or what was you know, one of your strengths in bringing this to life? The book? Yeah. Um, making people laugh, I hope. Uh, um, I think, um, oh, my strength in, in bringing this to life, that's super interesting. Yeah. That is a good question. That so I this is a have. birth. This is you just, you birth. This, this is definitely book. birth. Yes. This is definitely birth and this has definitely had a very long, not maybe it's like, which, which animal carries their child inside for seven years, I don't know. Elephants? But, yeah, I was thinking elephants. <laughs> but whatever it was, it was a very, it was much longer than the gestation of, uh, of Luke. And <laughs> it, it took a long time. So I think that that, what I'm proud of, I think, is, is that I released it. And I, and I really, I, I say that this thing of like, you know, starting is really important. I often tell people about starting and I speak a lot about starting, but finishing is like, or finishing a cycle and letting something go and letting it become what it needs to become is a really important part of the process. And I'm really proud that I did that. And there's something really nice about that. Like there's a physical book. It's really pretty. There's people who I worked with who made it, who took this vision and made a beautiful cover and another, you know, and another friend, Ali, who helped me make it into like a beautiful like layout inside. And that makes it a book that takes the words and translates it. So maybe one of the things that I'm also proud of is that I, that I can and have the opportunity to work with really talented people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a really, really supportive community. Yeah, that, that really is a gift that came out of, of, of having written this. And it's still very early days. I mean, you know, the book's out a month. And so is there kind of like, because yeah, I think I read somewhere, um, Nat, that you talked about like, you know, chick lit. Yeah. So is this a genre? This is a genre. Uh-huh. Chick lit is a genre. Uh-huh. I would say this is chick lit slash essay slash humour slash first person something. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish there was a, to- a topic. Like, if I wish that was like a, a section on Amazon and people would just be looking for me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, and the nice thing about Chick Lit, and, and I have a tendency to be a little bit too serious, I think, sometimes in my writing because I write about, you know, happiness and, and letting go and, and, you know, decluttering and, and how we can, le- you know, positive change and how we can change better. And Sweetheart, that is not serious. That's essential. No, that's essential. <laughs> yes, but it can be, you know, like it can be, you t- I might take myself too seriously sometimes <laughs> when I write about it. And Chiclet provides this sort of lighter avenue. Mm. And I think when you have a, a medium that allows that lightness and allows that lightness of dialogue you can talk about really deep topics but in a lighter way so like for instance you know in the scribbles about women there's you know I cover like you know 49 things that people don't talk about Mm -hmm. and one of my friends called me to say yeah you're right no one talks about putting not putting fabric softener on towels you know (laughs) that's what sticks out of her mind but you know I also talk about you know how people don't necessarily want to talk about depression or abortion or things like that which Mm -hmm. are serious topics but because it's under this other mode, which is chiclet, it allows you to bypass that sort of natural block that people might have to talking about those topics and, and offers it in a different way. 
I think most people would never dare to say that like their proposal story was awful and they had to force their, you know, partner to be, you know, to marry them while sitting on a toilet. Um, you know, no one's going to tell you that story or maybe only very closely, but Chiclet allows you to like sort of flaunt that humour. Mm. flaunt the ridiculous and I guess to flaunt some truths yeah I don't want to say it's all true but like to, to sort of make a fiction of that to make it to make it like yeah that's this it's kind of a comedy <laughs> the way we live our lives yeah it becomes accessible doesn't it so definitely I mean, and you I actually need to be making myself more accessible yeah. so yeah <laughs> I think you I think that's a really important thing because you know there are very um, serious things that we do need to be aware of and we do need to bring into the conversation. So if this is a way of doing it, that's that's fine because I think people do see the nuance of all of that. I think they do and I mm. also think sometimes we just need a break. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the other thing. This is like light writing. This, yeah. is to, this was to give me and my friends a break from the other stuff yeah. that was going on. Yeah. And, um, and humour has many guises. I mean, humour is a great therapy and um, a great leveller. So. I think it's good. And I loved, um, I mean, I loved, one of the things I really liked, and I don't know whether this is you or one of your many, many little fairies out there. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't write I couldn't write personal messages to the people involved in the book because then I'd potentially been publicly declaring some of their stories that I used as the basis of fiction. But one of the things I truly loved was the actual formatting. Yes. I love the fact that it's different. And I mean, I actually read it on my um, iPad, so I don't have a paper copy of it. Um, so I'm not. I have to send you one. Uh, but, you know, it would, but it's still, it was just easy and fun and interesting to have all these. Some of them have got dot points and some of them are like, looks like little poems. And then you've got, you know, regular prose. And it just is so easy to skim and scan and revisit. So it's, it's really a fun visual experience. Well, I take that as a huge compliment. And then I will also thank my users at Wix.com. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just gave them a plug. Uh, you know, I, I, I really, it really, that work um, took my eye, which I probably had. Mm. Oh, I did this have. This is the UX stuff, I, right? Yeah, the UX mm. stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, user experience. But mm-hmm. also this thing of like how things look. So there is a part to the book that I think I, and, and you're making me realise like there's a product aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is something that I that I do consciously afterwards think about and it, and it makes a huge difference and, and I worked with a designer to, to achieve that. Yeah. Um, she's a very good designer. Design does make a big difference. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, that sort of brings us naturally to the stuff that I've learned from apartment diet as well. So it's this sort of the power of design and good design, not to take it in the extreme, but how much the power of design can lend to being positive and being happy and how our environments make us feel happy or sad um, and they contribute to that and we frequently under or overestimate that power. Yeah, say more about that. It started as a, as a joke on how can I put my apartment on a diet and, you know, make it feel better if you like. If people <laughs> it. Um, yeah, and, and the funny thing is that that joke, I got a lot of like, I think I was tweeting at the time. I didn't tweet so much for the last few years but got back into it. But at the time I had a few people going, oh, I really want that. Um, and Tip and I, Tip Atkins and I sort of started blogging. She was renovating an old house in Amsterdam, in sorry, in, uh, in Utrecht, outside of Amsterdam, and we'd met collaborating on a physical space, the hub, Amsterdam and Hub Rotterdam. Mm-hmm. So we reconnected and we realized we were really passionate about design and interiors and renovation. And then I renovated my house and this sort of conscious design. And where it 
that's where it started and it sort of was very much about interiors and inspiration but what we understood because we're also both coaches was that this we learnt this whole thing about this power of the physical space and using a physical approach to change and that now I know when this is going to be a book that I will write we have happy house rules you know if you feel good at home you feel good in your life and 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 you can do that by by working with your space by working with your place rather than getting stuck in your head and then like look this is this is thousands of years of uh, of research not mine you know it's in lots of religions it's in feng shui this idea of our mental reflecting our physical and our physical reflecting our mental and we say okay you can go through lots of different different ways of change but it's really hard to move in your head and it's really easy to move in in your physical space mm. so that and, and and that this sort of combination of design and environment this is where we've sort of ended up working at this intersection a really interesting intersection of like interior design but environmental psychology, design thinking, if you like, there's this real opportunity for positive change at that place. Mm. Um, yeah, and look, there's lots of other people saying it. There's a fabulous Japanese woman with the magical art of tidying, which is uh, Marie Kondo, which is getting a lot of uh, a lot of really amazing, like millions of copies being sold because I think people are hungry. I think they're just we're living with a lot of stuff mm. and we're filling our lives with a lot of yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean I'm very aware in myself, Nat, that, you know, if I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed or and I and that is a tendency in me, I, you know, I take so much on and I get into this state of overwhelm and the only way that I can kind of get out of it is to do this displacement activity of going and tidying up my filing cabinet. It works. <laughs> Totally works. You're creating order. And creating order physically is going to help us feel ordered in our mind. Mm -hmm. But it's very hard to tell yourself, okay, Robin, be ordered in your mind now. (laughs) That would be like, it'd be very nice if it worked. But as far as I've experienced, it doesn't work very well. So, so that is actually that. That's literally we we have um, we have we have something we're working on called Twenty Ways to Start, and putting something in order is mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. That is one way to free yourself from overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people experience that. Yeah. What's happened for us is that we've discovered that it goes deeper and it goes well beyond stuff. Okay, stuff is becomes this thing that we've imbued with memories, and if you want me to go deeper, we've imbued with 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 this with his feelings and so we've put something into our stuff and into our homes that maybe we actually want to be working on and so in working with the stuff and understanding why we're keeping it and understanding what it is it's not making us feel good um and you know if I say to people you know where where do they feel most stressed about in their homes most people know and it's usually reflecting something else and when we put that in order and make that feel better then they feel better Mm. It, it just it is because they've moved. They've had that mind shift. Something has shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know the power of your emotions and, and how you can work with the negativity bias by building up your positivity mm. is one way of doing that too. So you know we are by default it's much more natural for us to find the things that don't work or the things that yes. upset us and the things that, you know, we, that are challenging to us because this is our survival. 
brain, right? It's a fight or flight. Yep. And so we really have to consciously work out. And I think you are demonstrating this by taking on some physical manifestation Mm -hmm. of what's going on in the psychological and in the mind. And what's amazing of Mm -hmm. it is when you let go of that physical thing, Mm -hmm. or in my case, it was this folder that I was ignoring. It was seemingly tiny of my writing that I had said I wanted to create into a book. Why don't you tell that story? I read that. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Just share it with us now. Yeah, so um, I have been working with like talking about letting go and, and decluttering and, and in general, Tip and I work very hard on living lighter and I can't separate that from who I am anymore. It's, I've been doing it for five years and we teach people how to do that. And But what happened was I was having a shower and I got this sort of mental message saying, you know, release your release your clutter. And I was like, huh, I don't even have clutter. Like what are you talking about? And I sort of was like, okay, but like it kept, My head kept sort of mentioning this. So I did a walk around the apartment and I realized that, you know, sometimes we think of clutter as these, you know, very stressful, very full places. This is not necessarily true. Clutter is also an object that stresses us out or objects that stress us out or spaces that stress us out. Um, and, And when I understood that that was this folder of my writings that I'd written but hadn't put together into a book, which is something I'd sort of made a commitment to myself to do when I left my job at Wix, that was one of the things that I knew I had to be doing next, even though it wasn't clear exactly what path I would take. And I hadn't finished it. And so my that that's this amazing thing of taking this it's a small physical thing, but it was taking up a lot of mental space mm. subconsciously. Mm. And in spending the last six months working on getting that ready and releasing that, there's a lot of new energy and a new room for me to be creating new things. And it's amazing how powerful that letting go was. So don't don't ever think that it has to be something massive. You don't have to go on some big massive rampage. It can be one thing that then you commit to, uh, to, to letting go. Really good. A couple of things I also would like to just explore while I have this opportunity with you is just the value of storytelling. I mean, you've always called yourself, I mean, when I first met you, it was a digital storyteller and, you know, <laughs> and you're still storytelling. Talk to us about the value of stories. I guess the value of stories is that they're human. And I think that's even more valuable now because we are living in a world that has a lot of, I don't want to say non-human or inhuman, but we're engaging with a lot of devices and, and our world is becoming very machine-oriented, myself included. You know, I have this phone that's attached to me and, you know, we're moving to having a watch that's attached to us that does all these things. So I think this we're having an even higher need of connecting the way I guess we are by design, <laughs> which is human, not machine, mm. and stories are an incredibly powerful way. And, and and for me, like, you know, I always think of that when I think of the power of story, I always think of there's a line in Hasidic sort of like the religious Jewish storytelling tradition. If you tell the right story to the right person at the right time, you change their world. Mm-hmm. Like you change everything. Mm. And, and, and I get that. That's what excites me about stories. But I also have to say that personally, when I am telling a story, I am a really good version of me. Mm. So maybe that's also part of why I've been calling myself a storyteller and story collector. Oh, I love that. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And even I, I talk more slowly, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know about that Hasidic um, tradition, but I've always said that 
you know, and I do this through my appreciative inquiry world because it's really, it is about gathering people's stories and that's how we make sense and we make meaning. I mean, you know, if you go into somewhere and you say, well, you know, what are the characteristics of great leadership? (laughs) And people give you a list. What does that do? You know, it just gives you, it's just this, this scientific list of adjectives or whatever. But if you were to say, you know, ask somebody, share a story when you were in the company of a great leader or you experienced your own great leadership, that is so different. And the conversation changes. Yeah. And, and I use that in workshops too. You yeah. know, I think more and more I've got a workshop called Creating the Life You Love, which is two hours. Mm-hmm. And whenever I have the appreciative inquiry segment of that, you know, there's there's a lot, you know, it's, it's it uses appreciative inquiry, this sharing the story where you are, you know, both for positive and where you want to work through something. People love it. You know, they're so happy to be listened to. Yes, that's it. And to be heard. Yeah. And I think also to be a mirror and to listen to others. Like I actually think that that, that, that exchange is really important and, and really so both for the listener and for the person mm, telling the story. Yeah. Um, have you seen my TEDx talk? I have, but I have to say that I should have gone back to it because I saw it a while ago and you need to refresh me. No, because I, I, it's, it's, um, it just, you just reminded me and it was like I, I asked cab drivers What's the best thing that's happened to you today? Yes. And I hear the most extraordinary stories and the things that you're talking about is what I experience is that it just opens up and you connect with people and you just have the most extraordinary intimate conversations, you know, in a very short space of time and you end up getting closer to a cab driver when you have those kind of conversations than you might be to somebody that you've known all your life. (laughs) And so I think it is, you know, just inviting people to tell a story, but, you know, through a specific lens. And, um, you know, in my world, it's inviting them to to connect with the best of their situation because I don't mm. think we do that enough. Yeah, so. Um, I, I think about that a lot. Mm. Not just that we don't do enough, but actually mm. how to make some of those when the best, they seem so light that there's this sort of ease to going into the not negativity but what's not working like you said before yeah. and i and i and i wonder how we can make those not heavier but sort of more it's it's nice that there's people like you out there making keeping <laughs> that in our consciousness yeah well it becomes you know like you were saying how being not tidy but being light was yeah living lighter living lighter was who you are these days well it's the same thing i mean you do it enough and it becomes integrated into who you are and that's just who you are in the world which which is the fifth stage of our process which Mm. is really looking at changing your habits Mm -hmm. so and and maybe changing your habits is the wrong word because I think people hear change and they go I don't want to change even though change happens all the time but the the way we often talk about it is what new habits do you want to create and sometimes they're going to be a few habits over time and other times you're going to do it like a band-aid and you're just going to decide on, on the new habit. Both work, right? Quitting your job works as well as taking six months or a year to plan for what you want to do next or having passion projects on the side. I've done both. Both work. Mm. So it's these changing your behavior, but instead of framing it as changing your behavior, creating new habits that are supporting the direction you want to go. I love it, yeah. It's all about reframing. Yeah, it's yeah. all about reframing. Yeah. Thinking about it differently. And that, yeah. that is, it's we're really funny. And that's people. a change. Just it is even, a change. Even that in itself is um is rewiring the brain to think differently. 
there is something that I've uncovered from these processes of working with physical spaces. There's a concept called um, in, in Hebrew, which is basically loosely translated as change your space or change your place, change your luck. Mm-hmm. But it has like a spiritual context to that, which is like something actually shifts. And in that shift, you get a different fortune, a different outcome, a different path, a different path appears Mm. your relation to things change so therefore you get a different outcome and and I think these these are really powerful tools that we have you know always had as being human that we can work with but maybe we're scared to be those people who respond and who uh, say this isn't working and I want something else and I'm going to put myself in that direction Mm. so why don't you share with me now what positivity means to you because hmm. after all this is my the name of my podcast absolutely <laughs> what positivity means to me yeah I think that's you know I actually think positivity is a bit of a muscle it's a reflex Yay. I think it's something that we can practice I think yes some people are born more optimistic I definitely am one of those people who came out it is easier for me maybe than someone who might not have been born that way. Mm-hmm. However, I really work hard at it. And not in a hard, like this is difficult. I put a lot of energy into bringing myself back to that that place because mm-hmm. sometimes you are in a funk. Absolutely. It happens to me all the time. It's not, you know, we're imperfect. But I think this reflex of like looking at what's, what's good and what's working and how I want to feel rather than how I don't want to feel and putting ourselves in those directions, those spaces, those conversations, those you know, reading a book that's going to take you there, read, watching a TED talk that's going to take you there. I, I think that's what that that's what it is. It's those things that make us happier, you know, or feel better. And I think that's great. I think that's great. And so now you have the opportunity to strengthen people's positivity muscle by giving me three tips that you would like to recommend um, that can increase that in their lives. Increase positivity in your yeah. lives. Okay. Because you've I got so much. I have so much. Let's let's bring it down to three. I think we've talked about how the environment has a huge impact on our happiness. So I think when you're next stuck, when you're next feeling overwhelmed, one of my favorite rules, favorite things to say is start with a corner, a corner of a room, a corner of your life, one shelf, and make that better. Yay. Yeah. Beautiful. So that's, that's, that's start with a corner. Um, three, we said three. Yes. Um, laugh. 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 Find something that makes you laugh and let something go. So lovely. <laughs> I love them all. <laughs> well, I think to have a good laugh, you need to get Natalie's book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that will I give you a great laugh. Say yes. And then that will inspire you to probably start sorting out all those corners in your life. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Exactly. Do it corner by corner. The, who, what's the rush? Oh, that's my – I have one more. I have a fourth. See, oh, I'm more okay. Than one. When you're stuck, put yourself in the direction of how you want to feel because sometimes it's hard to know what we want, but we do know how we want to feel. We want to feel more fun or we want to feel uh, more balanced or we want to feel uh, more – like the more, or the one you want to feel, not the one you don't want to feel, more positive. And, and look, at, look at how you can make that corner feel like that. That's great. Yeah. I think that's terrific. And all of that takes effort and a little bit of discipline and practice. Practice. I think it doesn't mm-hmm. even take that much effort. I think mm-hmm. it takes practice. practice. And then it becomes normal again. Yeah. Becomes your normal. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I asked you at the beginning what's exciting. So now I'm going to ask you 
um, and it might be kind of circling back, but that's probably a good thing. What's next? Mm. Well, I think that's also to do with what's exciting me is that this shift that happened in December that I'm feeling happened. I'm like, I feel like on one hand I'm at the beginning of like something new, but on the other hand, a lot of the stuff that I used to do is coming back and sort of integrating with all the other stuff I have been doing um, online, offline, etc. Um, and I'm coming back to coaching more and I'm coming back to writing and giving workshops more and mm. I'm coming back to speaking more. And then I get invited by Robin to speak <laughs> and, and, you know, really like that. Um, so I think that sort of the next stage is, is sort of like all of these bits that that's what's next, doing more writing, doing more speaking, doing more connecting with great people. Cause never know what comes out of that yeah um and and yeah hopefully releasing more books that's great well look i have had such fun speaking with you today and catching up with you in a public way (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) is really fun so we've just put it out there nat and um i'm just you know, we'll keep in touch as we always do, looking at Facebook or Twitter or some other way. But, but I just, I thank you so much for this opportunity and also for what you're giving all of us, you know, extra doses of positivity. The world needs more of that. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And I wish you huge success with your book and all the things that are going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And okay. Uh, thank you. The show notes for this episode can be found on positivitystrategist.com slash PS38. This week's Positivity Lens Activity, which I invite you to download on the show notes page of this episode, and that's positivitystrategist.com slash PS38, is about clearing some space to bring in more positivity in your life. And by space... We mean physical space, mental space, emotional space, and thinking space. And here are four strategies. So if you need to get rid of clutter, start with a corner. Number two, laugh. Humor is a great energy shifter. Three, let it go. Release whatever the clutter is that's holding you back. And four, Put yourself in the direction of how you want to feel to begin to release the clutter. Also, you can be notified of new episodes by email. Links to all these suggestions are available on positivitystrategist.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and remember... What you focus on grows, so grow towards your best.